Once upon a time, there was someone named Mary, and she was doing something. And then an angel appeared and said, Don't be afraid, because God is with you, and you're going to have a baby. How is it going to happen? Uh, God's going to put it in there? No way! How did you do? A baby is just going to come to my baby like that? Boom! What's his name going to be? Jesus. He'll be the Son of God, and he'll save the world. Awesome. So when they had to have the baby, they had to go to Bethlehem. I'm hungry. Well, you might have to wait till we get there. Doink, doink, doink. How can I help you? Well, we need a room because we can't find anywhere else to go. Well, we are full, so we can't fit you. But there is a stable in the back. You will sleep there. Okay. I've got bad news and good news. Well, we have to go back to that stable for staying because there is no room. Oh, no, really? We have to go in that stable? How long will this take? Fifteen hours. What? Okay, fifteen minutes. Okay, that works. Uh, uh, Here's the baby. Hi, little baby. afraid because God is with you. I know. Well, a baby just got born and he's right over there. Well, I got to protect my sheep. Follow the star. Then an angel popped up to three wise men and told them that the Son of God was being born and that he would save the world and his name was Jesus. And so they followed the star. So they went on their camels, or donkeys, or whatever they are. They were horses. They could be horses or anything, okay? And then they started traveling. And it took them about two or three years, or one. They don't know. We don't know. And then finally they got to the stable. They brought him gifts and worshipped. Yeah, that's true. Uh, ladies who have given birth, how many of you, show of hands, would love to have just sneezed the child? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess if you're giving birth to Jesus, the Son of God, I guess it's just easy like that. Sure, I'm glad all of you are here. And just to help us sort of get into the festive spirit of these days, what was it that Adam said on the day before Christmas? It's Christmas, Eve. Some of you are groaning, but that's just good humor there. You're welcome to use that. No charge for that. Free. Two different times in my life, I really needed someone to save my life. 
One of the times was a day I was leading a team of high school students on a mission trip to the community of Camden, New Jersey. Anyone ever been to Camden, New Jersey? Yeah, a, a few of you. You don't need to go back, do you? You don't need to go back. It almost always, Camden almost always tops the list of the most dangerous cities in America, number one year after year after year. And what happened in Camden was that I screwed up. I left the keys to the abandoned convent where we were being housed on a shelf back at the church where we had served that day. And so I had to go back from the convent. We were locked out of the gate of the convent. I had to go back to the church to get the keys so that we could let ourselves into our accommodations for the evening. And so I drove fast, like really, really fast, back all the way across the city of Camden, pulled into the church parking lot where we had served, parked the car, and I was walking along the sidewalk toward the church building when suddenly a huge, and I mean huge, giant of a man grabbed my arm, pulled me into him, and before I could even say a word, had me squeezing me in a bear hug. And he's a huge man. He's like this big, and he's squeezing me really tightly. I'm like, what just happened to me? And I was using my very best manners, please, sir, thank you, sir, it'd be great, sir, if you let me go, sir. And all he did was squeeze tighter and mumble unintelligible gibberish right into my face as he towered over me. Now, if you've ever found yourself in a situation like that, it's like the whole thing plays out in slow motion, kind of like a slow motion film. Some of you know that, don't you? For example, I vividly remember watching people. So I'm in this giant bear hug by this giant man, I turn my head and I can see there's a row of houses right at just, like just across the street and I'm watching people standing. It was a beautiful summer evening. I'm watching people standing on their front porches right across the street from the sidewalk where all of this is going down and they're like looking me in the eyeballs and I'm thinking, oh, this is all going to be okay. Some of those nice people over there, they're going to come over here and they're going to help me out of this jam I'm in. Surely that's going to ha- It didn't happen. Camden is nothing like Bozeman. If that had happened in Bozeman, there'd be like 40 of you helping, right? Not in Camden. No one came to save me. A savior eluded me on that day. And just like that, for centuries, a savior eluded the people in the nation of Israel. The whole world really languished, anticipating the long-awaited Messiah, the savior of the world. And throughout those centuries, many Savior-esque leaders came onto the scene. Some of them even brandished the title, Savior, lowercase s, Savior. See, in ancient societies, they applied the term Savior really, really liberally. Not only to lowercase g, gods, but also to people whose actions brought some type of significant benefit to the wider society. That meant that people like military heroes, Caesars, doctors, philosophers even, were all given the title Savior, lowercase s, Savior. Caesar Augustus, whose name you recognize, he was the Roman emperor who ordered the census that required Joseph and Mary to travel all the way to Bethlehem, even though Mary was great with child. Caesar Augustus had monuments for of himself, for himself, built all over the Roman Empire, mandating that those monuments of himself be emblazoned with the title. You know what the title was? Savior of the world, they said. Caesar Augustus thought of himself as the savior of the world, made everybody refer to him as savior of the world. And the ancients, they named all kinds of saviors. And folks, I think we've done a pretty good job of following in their footsteps. For example, these days, lots and lots of people, they make money into some kind of savior. They think money is somehow going to save them from 
something. One day there were several guys in the gym locker room when suddenly a cell phone on a bench started ringing. A guy was sitting near that cell phone. He presses the speakerphone button. He answers the phone. And everybody, it's a speakerphone conversation. Everybody else in the locker room gets to listen in. Hello, the guy says. A woman on the other end of the line says, hi, honey, it's me. Are you still at the gym? Yep, the man says. Oh, well, I'm at the mall, the woman goes on. And I found this beautiful jacket. I'd love to get it. It's only $2,000. Will it be okay with you if I get the jacket? Sure, the guy says, go ahead and get it. If you like it that much, you can have it. Woman says, thank you, dear. Oh, honey, by the way, while I was out, I went ahead and I stopped by the Range Rover dealership. I was looking at the new ones they had in stock. They've got the one that we really like and the color that I really like. How much is it, the guy says. Just 90000 says the woman. Okay, says the man. But for that price, I want all the, like, load it up. Okay, will do, says the woman. Oh, honey, just one more thing, the woman said. I was talking to the realtor. She told me that the house, remember the one we wanted last year? It's back on the market. They've got it listed for 980000 The man thinks for a minute. He says, all right, offer them 900000 They'll probably take it. But if not, we will go the extra eighty if that's the one you really want. Okay, great, says the woman. See you later. I love you. Bye, says the man. Love you, too. The man presses the end button on the phone. He looks up to notice all the other guys in the locker room are now staring at him, eyes wide open, mouths agape, astonished at what just went down on that phone call. That guy just then turns around and asks, anyone know whose phone this is? And we laugh, don't we? But in all seriousness, there's a whole bunch of people walking around this world treating money like it's some kind of a savior, like it's gonna save their soul or save their life. I gotta get this much and then I'll be set. My money and my security will be like an impenetrable fortress. Nothing will ever be able to harm me, right? But I'm here to tell you that money can't save anybody from anything. True statistic, 100 out of 100 people die. Rich, poor, in between, it doesn't matter. Sure, a little money, a little more money might make life a little more comfortable, but that's about all, right? Some people, they take money and they treat it like a savior. But there's other people walking around planet Earth these days, and they turn to relationships. They turn to people in their life and try to make those people into their savior, And I just got to say, like, holy cow, if you're putting that kind of savior pressure on a relationship with somebody, some friend, some family member, expecting them, expecting a relationship to save you from any, that's going to be a tough sledding relationship, isn't it? Look, I know there's a whole bunch of people, some of you sitting right here right now, you've got a really hard couple of days coming up. Because some of the people who you're going to spend the next couple of days with, they're going to be difficult days. I won't make you raise your hands because you might be seated near some of those difficult people right now. Remember that scene from Christmas Vacation? Uncle Eddie, he shows up in the big motor home and he's got this really awkward family and this horribly awkward dog. And Uncle Eddie's in the living room. He's talking to Clark W. Griswold and Uncle Eddie just casually mentions that he and his family are staying until sometime next month, right? And Clark, he's drinking eggnog out of the mug that's like in the shape of a moose and the antlers are the handles, you know, and Clark like chokes on his eggnog, right? He's like, oh my gosh, sometime next month, that is gonna be rough. 
And maybe you're looking at some of the people who you're going to be with over the course of the next couple of days. And maybe you're putting a pressure on them to be something more than they were intended to be in your life. Maybe you've ascribed some kind of savior status to some of them. And I'm telling you, with that kind of expectation piled on them, expectation, by the way, they probably don't have any idea that you've loaded on them. That's a recipe for Christmas time relationship disaster. Can I give you a hint? What if you just tried letting those people, the, even the difficult people, what if you just tried letting them be human over the next couple of days? What if instead of ascribing maybe savior status to them, what if you just shelved all the expectation that you've piled on them and just let them be who they are? If it's Uncle Eddie, let him stand out in the street in that horrible hat, smoking a cigar in a bathrobe that's way too small, emptying the black water tank of his RV into your storm. Just let it go. Uncle Eddie, it's Uncle Eddie. Complete with all his hurts, all his habits, all his hang-ups. Just let them be human. And see if that doesn't change the whole relationship dynamic. People, just like money, can't ever, ever be our savior. And then one more for you. I've met an awful lot of people over the years who just take a look in the mirror and they go, well, I'll just save myself. I'm smart enough, I work hard enough, I'm good enough, haven't done anything bad enough, I know how to get enough stuff done. I'll just save myself. I've got this. I'll figure this out. But that doesn't work either. It just doesn't work. In her book, A Field Guide for Getting Lost, author Rebecca Solnit tells a story of a friend named Sally who's part of a search and rescue team in the Rocky Mountain Western United States. Sally and other search and rescue experts say the key, catch this, to being saved when you're lost hinges on just one thing. The key to being saved when you're lost hinges on one thing. It's knowing and admitting that you're lost. The key to being saved, the key to being rescued, the key to being found when you're lost hinges on knowing and admitting that you're lost, which is why, and I find this to be incredibly fascinating, it's why kids get rescued way more often than adults do. It's because kids never stray as far as adults do. A kid, when they're lost, they realize they're lost. They'll curl up into a little ball in a little sheltered place, and they'll wait for somebody to find them because they realize, I'm lost, Unlike many adults who get lost, kids never try to desperately save themselves. They just stop. A kid stops and they just go, I need help. I'm really lost here. And there's a guy, a prophet, an Old Testament prophet in the Bible. His name is Isaiah. And he talks about how very lost, incredibly lost human beings are. But he does it in the very kindest way you can ever imagine. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. He's talking about all of humanity. And look at what he says. All of us, that's me included, like sheep have strayed away. All of us, like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. What's he telling us? We're lost. He's saying we're really, really lost, wandering around like sheep all over the place. One of the most talked about features of any trip anyone ever takes to the African nation of Ethiopia is, interestingly, the sheep. I'm not kidding. There's hundreds of thousands of sheep that wander in free-willy fashion all over Ethiopia. Every once in a while, you'll catch a shepherd who's trying to gather his 
handful of sheep out of the hundreds of thousands. I have no idea how they know whose sheep are whose. They're not tagged, they're not marked, they're not labeled in any way. But the shepherds manage to collect up theirs once in a while, take them someplace they need to take them. But the rest of the time, it's just like Isaiah 53 says. Sheep are just straying and they're just wandering everywhere all the time. And here's how it often plays out. I want you to pretend you're in Ethiopia. I want you to pretend you're in the passenger seat of a late 1980s Toyota of some kind. This Toyota that you're riding in probably has four, five, 600,000 miles on this car. And you're barreling down an Ethiopian highway. You're going about 70 miles an hour. You're not driving because you don't want to drive in Ethiopia. The driver's driving and he's barely able to keep the car under control. It's so mechanically sketched that he can barely even keep it on. I mean, it's just shh as it goes down the road. You're about to doze off because you're so jet lagged. All of a sudden you get thrown against the seatbelt from the braking force of the vehicle, right? And you know what happens? A jolt of adrenaline surges through your veins. Your eyes open wide up and you're really startled and you look right 50 yards and you're going 70 and all of a sudden there's 10 sheep standing right in the middle of the highway. No joke. And in Ethiopia, sheep have the right of way. Sheep have the right of way. That means if you hit a sheep, no matter where it is, it's your fault. All your fault. By the way, a major highway in Ethiopia is something akin to Love Lane out here, right? Bumper to bumper traffic, 70 miles an hour on Love. Can you imagine that? And then there's groups of 10 sheep there and 10 sheep there and 10 sheep there. And every time it happens, there they are. You're just praying like mad, holding your breath. Please, Lord, no, don't let us. I've seen a lot of sheep get creamed in Ethiopia crazy, wandering, highway sheep. And I'm really, really sorry about this. I know it's Christmas. I know it's supposed to be a time of nothing but good cheer and so, but I gotta tell you, it would be pastoral malpractice if I didn't say this. I have to say it. Those sheep that wander into traffic, you know who they are? They're me. And they're you. And they're all of humanity is a matter of fact it's the human race just like those sheep we're just like them and I know some of us are like I'm way smarter than a sheep and Isaiah says no uh, no you're not actually you're just not we're sheep wandering astray all in great need of the savior Not just any lowercase s, savior though. Not just a great world leader. Not just our money. Not just our relationships. Not, certainly not ourselves. None of that will get us found. We need the savior. We need the Messiah. And so when the angel of the Lord shows up on that very first Christmas night a couple of thousand years ago, look carefully at how he phrases his proclamation. Luke chapter two, verse 11. The Savior, says the angel. Notice that? The Savior, capital S, Savior. Yes, the Messiah. Yes, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And what just absolutely leaps out of that announcement for me, for those shepherds as well, was that this was not just another one of the multitude of underperforming lowercase s, quote, saviors that so many people thought was going to be the one, just another one of those who came and went across the stage of history down through the ages. Not this one. Not this time. 
the angel of the Lord breaks in that very first Christmas night and says, uh-uh, it's time, people, all people, put down all of your wannabe, lowercase s, saviors, because the real, true, one savior of the world, the one true Messiah, the promised one of God who you have been waiting on, whom you have been waiting on for all of these years, it's time, and it's him, and he's here, and why is he, why is he here? Why did he come? Why did he step out of heaven? Luke 19.10 captures it for us. To seek and save those who are lost. Us. All of those wandering highway sheep. To seek and save those, all those who are lost. All of we wandering, lost, highway, sheep, lost in our sin, fiddling around with our wannabe, quote, saviors. Jesus came to seek you and me out to save us. Remember, Jesus is God. God who came as a man to seek us out, seek you out, seek me out for the purpose of saving us. And he's the one true savior of the world. And get this, folks, his greatest act of salvation was not to set the Jews free from Roman rule as so many in the ancient days hoped their savior would do. Uh Uh-uh, that wasn't Jesus' agenda. That was not Jesus' program. Rather, for Jesus, his greatest, his very greatest act of salvation was to save the entire world from our sin, all of us. To save all of us from our sin, to redeem actually everything back to its rightful place, its intended place with God. And he's it, folks. He's the only savior truly capable of saving us because he's perfect, he's spotless, he's without fault, without blemish, without error. He's perfect. And the salvation he brings to you and I, it cost him his very life as he hung on the cross, dying for us. And there's one more thing you need to know about the Savior, Jesus Christ. Get this, please. It doesn't matter how incredibly lost you might be. It doesn't matter how incredibly lost you may have been, like for years and years and years, wandering here and wandering there onto those highways for a long, long time, maybe. Jesus never, ever seeks you out to castigate you going, see, I told you, you think I'm going to help you now? Why don't you just try to find your way home by yourself? Jesus never says that. Not a chance. He doesn't ever say that. He doesn't ever say that because he loves you with a love that is beyond any love you've ever experienced or any love you can ever imagine experiencing. He's God who became a man to save you. He stepped out of heaven leaving all the God stuff behind, the honor and the privilege and the esteem. He took it off to put on human flesh. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you beyond any love you've ever experienced. And this Jesus, the savior of the world, he defines grace. Jesus is the definition of grace. Because see, as soon as you're ready to come home, as soon as you're ready to listen, As soon as you're ready to give him your life, Jesus says, here, come with me. I'm bringing you home. I'm bringing you home to the Father where you belong. That's Jesus. 
the only one, the only Savior who can forgive our sin, my sin, your sin. And folks, today, that Jesus, the Savior of the world, he longs to be your Savior. That Jesus, he longs to be your Savior. And in light of all that, why wouldn't you give your full devotion to him? Why wouldn't you say, I need that Savior, Jesus? Please get this. He's not just a good spiritual teacher. Jesus isn't just a good spiritual teacher to be revered from a distance. Like, oh, he's such a great guy. I like him over. Th-. No. He longs to be your Savior. He's Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. And he deserves to be followed and served and obeyed and trusted and worshipped. Because, folks, there's no other way to be saved. He's it. He's it. It's him. Could I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and move into a time of reflection? Maybe just get comfortable before the Lord. Maybe just talk to him about some of the things you're thinking about right now. perhaps today you're coming face to face with the Savior Jesus Christ and you're grasping the magnitude of his love his grace his pursuit of you you might have been dodging Jesus for years and years and years but why wouldn't this be your day to come home to him what's stopping you from coming home to your savior Jesus Christ today once and for all what's keeping you and if that's you if you're wanting to make Jesus your savior you, uh, you can pray with me I invite you to pray with me right where you are Say, Savior Jesus, I get it. All this other stuff that I've been looking to to try to save me can't get it done. I need you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Would you please? Would you please, Jesus, be my Savior? With all the faith I can muster in this moment, I receive your gift of salvation, Jesus. And then just express to him how grateful you are. Just say, Jesus, thank you so much for your birth on that first Christmas. Thank you so much for your death on the cross on that first Good Friday. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your rising from the dead on the first Easter, all to save me. Thank you, Jesus. Would you please be my Savior? Here I am, all of me, trusting all of you with my everything. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for your coming to planet Earth, your stooping to the level of humanity, that descent that you made for us simply blows our mind. 
because you didn't have to do it. But you loved us so much that you did. And we're grateful, grateful recipients, Jesus. So grateful are we that we just want to live our lives in adoration, in worship, in service of you. That that would be our deal. That as your followers, we would live our lives for you. Knowing you and making you known. Because we want everyone else in this world to know that you're the Savior. And that they can know you too. And that you've made a way for anyone who wants to to just step right on in. To come home. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us home to you. You are the best. You are the greatest. You are the king. And you are our savior. And everyone agreed together and said, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.